When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grillin' JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? Oh, our magnificent tag team is back together. Conrad, I'm excited to talk to you. We got some fun things to talk about today. Exciting times in uh, my professional life with the AEW. Interesting, interesting developments, big shows. The Arthur Ashe thing was a success. Uh, It was just a, it's just an amazing. You and I were talking about this before we went. We started recording. It's a uh, amazing facility for pro wrestling. Yeah, and I, you know, that's the Rafael Morphy deal, Uh, and he's uh, he he just. He, he, he took care of that little problem. You know, this son of a bitch is this, uh, computer. I get notices all the time. I don't, maybe I'm supposed to do something. I don't know. Anyway, but the things are good though. Life is good. I'm in Florida right now. The weather's great. So here we are. Let's get it. Yeah, man. We're excited. Uh, hopefully you guys had a chance to check out, uh, the big show last night on, uh, AEW dynamite, Arthur Ashe, the second time you guys have been back there. What a cool facility. And, uh, well, we're recording this in advance of the show. Of course, it's not like Jim Ross has a time machine and got to Florida before you woke up this morning. Uh, but still, we hope you, uh, dug the show and we're going to be talking about something that I think we all dug 25 years ago, the in your house, ground zero pay-per-view of course, in your house in the nineties was really a staple of the WWF. And, and this is the first ever three hour in your house. Uh, and it's the first show, uh, on the heels of SummerSlam 97. So we're going to start phasing these in your houses out and, uh, just go to a more traditional three hour pay-per-view every single month. Um, and SummerSlam 97, we've already covered, which was uh, episode 14 in the archive. So go check that one out. But just to recap what happened there and sort of catch you up to speed, mankind defeated triple H in an awesome cage match to open the show. He would rip open his top and reveal the heart and, uh, sort of channel his inner dude love, if you will, as he flew off the top of the cage or almost the top of the cage. It was a gold us beat Brian Pillman in a match where there was, uh, some real stakes. Now Pillman has to wear a dress for 30 days when he wrestles, or at least until he wins a match, uh, Bret Hart would defeat the undertaker to become 
I think the first ever five-time WWF champion after the special guest referee, Shawn Michaels accidentally knocked the undertaker out with a chair shot. He was aiming for Brett, but darn it. He missed That's so often right. happens in wrestling. You hate to see that happen, but the most <laughs> noteworthy thing that happens on the show isn't even the title switch. And it's not that a guy's got to wear a dress. It's that Steve Austin broke his freaking neck, a botched pile driver, uh, where Owen fell to his ass, not his knees. The result is, uh, the Austin's spine is really compressed on the, on the canvas. But the stipulation is if Austin loses, he has to kiss Owen's ass and that character could have never kissed Owen's ass. Right. So <laughs> they stalled and we got one of the worst looking finishes ever, but it's all that Austin could do because he's literally hurting for certain loses, yeah. fe- loses feeling in his extremities and he's, his career is never really the same, but what a, a major moment it was in wrestling history because now with Austin unable to compete in the ring, we're going to have to get creative. We're going to get this guy on TV every week, but we'll spend more time on the Gaga, less time on the in ring. And right. I, I can't say that it didn't wor- somehow work out for the best because he's on his way to becoming the biggest star in the history of the business here. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, that was so scary that night there in the, in the Meadowlands. Cause you know, there's everything, all this, all these signs uh, led to bad news yeah, and losing feeling and, and all these things and delicateness of the neck and uh, how that affects everybody. You know, you can't take a flat back bump well because of your, the sensitivities of the injury. So it was a scary ass night. I can promise you. And uh, Steve was so uh, despondent because I think he truly believed in his heart that his run was over. Yeah. And uh, it, it was almost like, you know, cruel irony. You know, here's the guy that worked all his life to get to the WWE and then to get his break, he got all that happened and he made it happen. Uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, it looks like it's over. So that was a very emotional night to say the least. A lot of late night phone calls, follow up, follow ups with doctors, things like that. And then trying to talk Steve off the ledge, so to speak, because he was, you know, as he should be, he's looking at multi-million dollars of money that's out there floating around that he could, he's going to earn. Yeah. And, but you know, it's just one of those deals. So it should be a fun show to talk about, you know, and, uh, and, and that's what we'll do. So the night after SummerSlam raw is in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. It's a small arena hosting raw here, but we've got the big stage and the big Titan Tron only 4,665 people are there, but it's actually a sellout because it's a smaller building. Meanwhile, by comparison on the other channel. Nitro is at the, uh, the new palace of Auburn Hills, Michigan. There's 17,616 people there. It's unbelievable. That of course is nitro 100. It's going to be the first ever three hour nitro. Lex Luger is going to defeat Hulk Hogan to become the world champ. Uh, but that just sort of shows you where we are in our head to head Monday night war and just the momentum and how white hot the NWO is. But here on this channel, we're. We got a new sheriff, at least a figurehead sheriff. Sergeant Slaughter's introduced as the new WWF commissioner on the show. He's going to be taking over the old on-screen WWF president role that was previously held by Gorilla Monsoon. What'd you think of the decision to have Sarge be the on-air commissioner? I liked it because, uh, Sarge had a lot of credibility. Yes. Hall of fame guy. People trusted in Sarge when he said something, he meant it. And 
he's an old school baby face and, and a large extent. So when a baby face makes a promise or it says something declarative, uh, you want to trust him. And I think everybody kind of trusted SARS. He, he felt like a good, comfortable fit, like an old pair of house shoes. Just going to, it's just going to work. It's not, it may not be the prettiest thing. Your prettiest pair of shoes it may not be red bottoms. Yeah. But it's going to be some good stuff. So I like Sarge to get that role. I love Monsoon in a role because he just fit it perfectly. Nobody could do that role better than Monsoon. And if anybody could do it as close to, uh, as good as, uh, uh, as we hoped, uh, we're going to be okay. So Sarge is a good hire. Sarge is a good booking. I think, uh, Monsoon would only make one more televised appearance for the WWF. He's introduced ringside at WrestleMania 15 in Philadelphia. He does continue to do commentary for the international broadcasts for the next two years. Uh, and he's traveling to Stanford once a week for that is gorillas health really catching up with him here. Yeah, absolutely. He just, uh, it kept deteriorating. He lost a bunch of weight. He had good doctor's care. You know, uh, Bob Morella, AKA uh, gorilla monsoon was a very smart guy. So he's not going to be one like a lot of the boys. And just let it go. I'll work through it. You know, I don't want to show any weakness, right? Cause uh, promoters don't want to see a weakness in a talent. Uh, at least that was the old school way of looking at it. And now you, you hope I, I know AEW does. We put our talents first and we have doctors uh, on site at every, at every physical, physical in, endeavor. So, uh, I, I, it was a, it was an interesting time to say the least, but the whole story really revolved around Austin. And, and his long-term health. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about something Slaughter's going to do here on cam. He's going to announce that the Patriot Dale Wilkes is going to be getting a title shot at the new champion, Bret Hart at the upcoming ground zero pay-per-view. You want to talk about timing. I don't think there's ever been better timing for a new character to be introduced than perhaps at the height of this USA versus Canada feud that really just electrified an arena the month prior at, at Canadian stampede. And now we've had some real stakes the night before where if Bret Hart were to lose, he would never wrestle in America again. Of course, now instead he wins and he's the world champ. So we need an American hero to combat this damn Canadian heel and who better than the Patriot. Uh, is this just right time, right place for Dale Wilkes? Do you think he could have had success in the company without this angle, chat me up. Well, I think that, uh, it was largely Brett's idea to work with Dale Wilkes. Brett saw something in Dale Wilkes that Brett wanted to, that intrigued him. And he thought that their, their in-ring styles and, and all that stuff, the presentation was very compatible. So I think Brett had a whole lot to do with that booking, quite frankly. Uh, and it was the right thing. You know, you, you go out there, it's like, a, say people say it all the time. You can go over, you can get over. Well, you know, Brett was uh, hell bent on making sure that Dale Wilkes got over. There's plenty of false finishes. There's plenty of drama, solid, fundamentally sound. Cause that was Brett's idea to do the match, as I mentioned. And it was uh, Brett's idea to, to, uh, lay out the match. I'm sure Pat Patterson had some help in it, uh, which is always a blessing. So, uh, and, and Pat was a major proponent of Brett. Uh, so, you know, two fellow Canadians. So. Uh, they, they got along great and, and Brett always tapped into Pat's knowledge. So it was a, it, it was an interesting, uh, booking, but I think Brett Hart had more to do with that booking than 
Dale Wilkes even, quite frankly. Dale looked good. You know, Dale, uh, he had those issues with his, with his substance abuse, which we were not aware of at that point in time. He looked great. Yes. Uh, he's a fun guy to talk to. And he's, you know, old football players, no game cock. Everybody, and you know, a lot of people like a little cock. Saying that as a South Carolina football fan, obviously. Sure. So, uh, yeah, anyway, that's fair. Right. So anyhow, uh, yeah, it was Brett's deal. That was, that was Brett's booking and, uh, and it worked. They had a really good match. Everybody likes a little cock is, uh, available now as a t-shirt over at, uh, adfreecares.com. Of course, all of our proceeds and, and, and funds from those t-shirt sales go directly to St. Jude. So. Let's celebrate JR's great line there and, uh, raise some money for a good cause with St. Jude's, uh, Austin's immediately back on TV. He doesn't miss a single night. He's doing promos here. He's not taking any time off. Listen, in, in a modern era, it feels like he definitely would have been off the show and it's time to go get evaluated and let's prioritize your health. But this is a different era here. It's time to rub some dirt on it and you don't want to lose your spot and walk it off and all that sort of thing. But. He has, as you said, at the top of the show, worked his ass off. And, uh, as a friend of ours would say, he didn't come this far to just go this far. Right. That's right. Oh, no doubt about that. He was hell bent on doing whatever it took to stay, keep his presence on television alive. And quite frankly, as, as fun as it was to call Austin's matches. And I called a ton of them, obviously during that period of time, uh, when he was the hottest, uh, it was, uh, I don't know. It's a crazy scenario, but we, we didn't use our best judgment there, but Steve insisted that he be on television. Right. It wasn't like, Oh, let's, let's talk about it. No, they ain't no talking about it. Yeah. I'll be there Monday and we'll, and we'll, and we'll do whatever we got to do. Cause the fans, as I started to say, how much they loved watching Austin wrestle. They just wanted to see him. Yes. They wanted to hear him. Yes. And his, his, his swagger and his bravado and all that stuff. People live vicariously through that. So getting Steve on television was, it was good in the, in the sense that it helped Steve it helped the show, helped the ratings and it kept his bill going, but, uh, it probably wasn't the smartest thing that we could have done in hindsight. Uh, you know, he should have taken some more time off, but he was insistent. Yeah. It wasn't an option. I'm going to work and I'm going to entertain these people. And I'm not going to lose my quote unquote spot. Ryan Pillman's forced to wear a dress in his match against Bob Holly, who's still rocking his race car driver tights, by the way, uh, Brian is going to lose after he's distracted by both Goldust and Marlena. Uh, this, st- the stakes here where somebody has to wear a dress feels like an old school Memphis idea. Would this, would this have been a cornet idea? Do you think it might've been, might've been, it's something that, uh, uh, you know, the territories use that a lot, especially when they had female valets. Yes. I don't know how many times in the Dallas territory and in the mid South slash UWF that Missy was a object of these, one of these stipulations had to be somebody's, you know, uh, servant for a day or, or whatever the hell it is. That's an old territory thing. So Watts did it. Uh, I'm sure Memphis did it. Uh, anybody that had a female valet had the chance to do that same thing. And, uh, so it was an old territory thing. And I, and, 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 and quite frankly, it's such an easy story to tell and understand that, uh, 
there's no wonder that in various territories, it got over to varying degrees and normally pretty decent. Listen, it seems a little silly, but I got to tell you, I thought Brian Pillman did an excellent job here. You just, you know, cause how long can you make this? Oh, it's a guy in a dress as a spectacle. That feels like it's good for a chuckle and we move on. Uh, but Brian's doing his best to make some chicken salad here. And I thought he did a, a better than fair job. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It showed, uh, Anytime. Brian Pillman was so underrated Conrad. Yeah. I mean, he really was, uh, many of us that love Brian and I still love Brian. I still miss Brian. I'm happy as kid is Brian juniors still pursuing the family business and it's getting better and better all the time. Uh, he's working on his body. He's, he's a student of the game. He desperately wants to follow in his father's footsteps to this very day. Uh, but Brian Pillman was an outstanding talent. You know, if injuries and other issues had not intervened, uh, we'd still be talking about him today in, in glowing terms like we are now. He just said he ran out of time. Yeah. I heard the Texas coach say that against Alabama, but the Alabama game cut three weeks ago where it was. We didn't lose. We just ran out of time. Yeah. It's total bullshit. Yeah. Look at the scoreboard. You lost. Yeah. Happens to all of our teams, Conrad. It's going to happen to Alabama someday. And it's going to happen to Oklahoma at some point in time. Uh, you know, all the, the schedules that they have. And when you get those great teams like Alabama and Oklahoma, that people, that, they set their, their watch by this match. This is, or this, this is a game. And I think that's kind of what Brian, Brian's approach is always athletic oriented. He motivated himself. So, uh, but he did a good job on a, on an angle that really was a mid card type angle. But because of the work and the psychology utilized, uh, it, it, it become, it became more than just a mid card storyline. No doubt about it. Uh, nothing mid card about Sean Michaels either. He's probably the highlight of the show here. He's going to be further establishing his heel turn. He's going to do a promo where he's basically telling the fans to kiss his ass. And then he sneaks away like a cowardly heel when the undertaker appears Sean really came across as a natural heel here and you guys had been trying him as a baby face, but I always preferred him as a heel. Did you have a Me preference? Too. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. Heel. Yeah. Absolutely. He, Cause he's felt more natural and more, it's more organic in his own skin being a heel. Well, said. it fit, it fit him. It did not seem like he was trying to be a bad guy. He was a prick. That's his character was a prick. Yeah. And, and, and he was cocky and undersized in the eyes of some, but his skill set was, uh, you know, when you, when you're an athlete like Shawn Michaels and you're constantly compared to one guy, yeah, Rick flair, uh, you, you, you've done pretty good body of work. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Sean was a natural heel. He's best suited for that role. And I think like any other talent, he enjoyed his booking. He enjoyed that placement of his character within these certain storylines. And, and him being a baby face was a, was a little stretch because people didn't trust him. He had been so, you know, unpredictable and so forth, but as a heel that fit him perfectly. Well said, um, we've also got to talk about Paul bear. He's going to do a promo reminding the undertaker that Kane is coming. Now, of course, we're still a ways away from Kane debuting. We've been building this for months, but boy, it really worked. I mean, we're still talking about Kane to this day. And that character, maybe with anybody else, would have just been in for a hiccup or a single story. Yeah. And and Mr. Jacobs stretched it out into decades of uh, a successful career. Yeah, and let's thank Undertaker for part of that success too, Conrad, because Taker uh, had had a lot of autonomy 
there at WWE still does obviously as he should, uh, most is tenured successful, all the WrestleMania main events, the 21 and oh, and all that stuff, which I still don't believe he should have ever lost. Yeah. Uh, speaking of taker at, uh, WrestleMania, the streak should have been alive to this very mo- moment, but that's not how the, the hand was played. So, uh, I, I'm a, I'm a big believer that Mark Calloway, AKA the undertaker had about as much to do with Kane's success as any, as Kane did. Yeah. Cause without the undertaker, where do you, where do you leave this character? How do you, how do you address this character? Well, you know, they, we got a couple of runs out of it. Uh, and then we got, then they became the, bro- the brothers of destruction. And that was a good hell of a tag team. Oh yeah. Impressive. So, uh, I, I'm a, I'm a big believer that Mark Calloway had so much to do with Kane's success. And that's not to denigrate Kane's ability. He's an intellectual, smart guy. He's a mayor in Knox County, Tennessee. He's not got this job that was an elected job because, uh, people didn't believe any. And, uh, that was just Glenn. I, I always been, a, I've always said that if every talent that I ever hired had the character and integrity of Glenn Jacobs in and around the locker room, in the ring, etc., representing the company, uh, the, the business in general would be a better place. He's that good a guy. And, uh, so, cause I, I'm sure that if, if Glenn were not comfortable in his, uh, domain there in Knoxville and, and becoming involved in politics that he would be working for WWE right now. Too smart. Too, it's too smart. Somebody's going to take advantage of that brain and his patience and his ability to communicate, which he's proven a pro wrestler getting elected in a, in an office, uh, is that's a, that's an accomplishment. It's a significant accomplishment. So I I'm a, that was just a great, uh, the bill for that was great. Anytime you can go on an elongated story that, that continues on a weekly basis, Conrad to build moment, to build uh, anticipation, anticipation is a key word. Yeah. Everybody was curious. Everybody was wondering, you know, and then all of a sudden, and, and we knew that the presentation was not going to let anybody down because Kane realized this was the biggest break of his life because undertaker liked him and he's in this storyline and I sounds real weird. Undertaker liked him. Well, you, you got to like your guy you're dancing with. You got to respect him. And I think that's kind of where we, we found, we found ourselves there again, go back to my original statement. Taker had as much to do with Kane becoming superstar, megastar, hall of fame guy as, uh, as anybody undertaker was the guy that annoyed him. He, he gave him, he, he was knighted and, uh, made to be mean something. So it was a fun time to be an announcer. That's for sure. Cause we're still telling these stories that have not yet been written. And I love that. Afford anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, what was supposed to happen the night after SummerSlam. It was written in the observer that Shawn Michaels was going to cost stone cold and dude love the tag titles that night. So they could go back to Owen and bulldog. Obviously Austin can't wrestle. So that's changed. And what we get instead is dude love versus Owen Hart in the main event. And it's almost a backdrop 
for Austin to come out and knock out Owen Hart with the slammy. Um, you know, that's just part of the game, man. Injuries are real. It happens in traditional sports. It happens in wrestling. Yeah. And as a result, you know, we're still got half of the original main event, but what we really need is a way to get Austin in front of this audience and brushing up against the last segment of the show. So we pivoted and quite well. Yeah, I thought so. Like I said earlier, Conrad, the, the audience at times seemed to be just as happy seeing Steve in a ring, hearing him cut a promo, watching him drink a beer, uh, shoot the bird, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, as they did watch him wrestle, I thought Steve was one of the most entertaining and compelling in ring performers that I ever called a match for ever, but his strength did not stop there. Right. He was an all around star and he knew that he could still remain a star. He pulled off this talking role, this new role, amended role until he got better. We, uh, we're also going to have some news coming out of the company in this era quote, Jim Ross has been elevated to senior vice president of Titan sports and is now the highest ranking official in the company, not named McMahon. He's wow. in charge of things like contract negotiations and talent recruiting along with playing a major role in booking the house shows and pay-per-view shows. The ultimate decisions are, have been, and likely always will be in the hands of Vince McMahon. But still, how cool is that, man? Our old pal, JR, highest ranking official, not named McMahon. Yeah. That's kind of cool. I had never thought of it that way. That was just a great opportunity for me. Yeah. You know, events, uh, recognized my passion and he recognized my background and I've been tutored by some really great, you know, I, I worked so closely with Bill Watts, who I still believe is one of the best bookers ever. Uh, you know, some of his, uh, uh, extemporaneous statements that he made, uh, regarding race and things of that nature were not extremely, uh, complimentary, uh, but he's a smart guy and I got to, I drove him. I was in a car with him. I, you know, I remember, uh, rolling his joints as we were driving down the road. And I did it with steering the car with my legs and doing the, I can't, I couldn't roll a joint now to save my soul. I don't know. <laughs> it this to be horrible. So, but it was a great opportunity for me. And I wanted to retool the locker room, uh, in a more athletically competitive way, because I knew that the talents that we had, that we'd hired already, uh, were hungry and they all were looking for their break. And they had to figure out how to get through the channel, the, the waters, which could be kind of rough waters at times, uh, to get this thing done. So, uh, it was a cool, it's a cool job. You know, I, and I, I worked every day and people hear that and they say, Oh God, stop it. You're killing us. Well, here's the deal. Look at the fucking calendar. Yeah. Every Monday we did raw every yes. Tuesday. We taped SmackDown. Yes. On Wednesday, I had to, my deadline to get my payroll turned in. No matter where we were the night before, could be Des Moines or could be LA. Yeah. When I got the office on Wednesday, the payroll was done. And sometimes I worked all night on a plane, uh, on a business plane where people were sleeping, but I had to get the payroll done. That was my, to me, that was my most important job was paying the talent timely and fairly. And it's such a delicate balance because it's discretionary income. And for those of you that may not know, just look up the word discretionary. It's, it's, it's a, it's, it's not a, it's not a democracy. There's not a formula. Maybe there should be, I'm not saying there shouldn't be, but there wasn't at that time. It's all old school discretionary pay. And so I, and I, I think maybe in my career is all said and done. And I realize I'm getting closer to the end than I am the beginning. 
uh, that maybe my best accomplishment was <coughs> all the guys, <coughs> pardon me, that we hired that went on to become great and successful hall of famers, millionaires. And to me, that's a, the best thing they said, well, JR called a four star match and such and such. That's, that's my job. I, that's my most natural position. Uh, and so it just was a, it was a great opportunity for me and it burned me out. Uh, I, I lost some effectiveness because I was so burned out, but every, then you got Thursday, you got, you got the payrolls done on Wednesday. Now on Thursday, you got phone calls to return and contracts to address. And so then Friday you you get ready to start another house show loop. So I booked all the house shows Then I work with the agents, uh, Jack Lanza, for example, with my go-to guy on the, on the main, main, uh, live events. And so he and I would talk on Friday and here's what we'd like to do. What do you think of this, Jack? What do you think of that? And so that was Friday. And then on Saturday and Sunday, we had normally two shows each day. So those had to be managed and booked and the finishes worked out and all those things. So that's Saturday and Sunday. And then guess what? It's Monday. Let's go to work. <laughs> so that's how that worked. That's how that job worked. It, we were understaffed. We didn't have the staff that, that they utilize now. And I think that's a, important for those guys is to, you got a, a, a leader that understands the business thoroughly in triple H and that's what you got to have. The, the lead decision makers got to have product knowledge. Uh, and they got, I still, I still think, and I, this may be naive, all Anna ish that she still need to be a fan. Conrad, if you weren't still a fan, we wouldn't be doing this. We will be doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. I'll be, I'll be down the street at my favorite little tavern and having a Moscow mule. Yeah. Or just go to my that. refrigerator and make me one. <laughs> I got all the ingredients. The food sh shortage is a little, little scarce, but, uh, nonetheless, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the liquor it's there water. It's it. It's all there. We're good. Uh, so if it comes to bad weather here and I can't get out in Florida, <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. So it was a, but it was a fun run for me. It put me on the map. I think a lot of ways. And then, and the guy, you know, I hired so many guys that Vince had never heard of, never seen, you know, he didn't know the hell John Cena was right. John Cena was working for Rick Bassman in Southern California. It wasn't like he's on the mainstream and working on the, on the, you know, Hollywood. He was, he had two or three jobs and he was learning to wrestle. And there were guys like that. You know, uh, when Vince found out that Randy Orton was court-martialed, he didn't want me to hire him. Right. And I resisted with good reasons. And I said, look, Vince, everybody deserves a second chance. Yes. I said, how many second chances have you got? I, I've got plenty Yeah. and I'm thankful for it. So anyway, that's, we could go on about that, that job, but it was a fun job. And I think we left our mark, our administration left our mark, uh, on that, uh, on the company that's still being felt today. So let's talk about some news that, uh, is not necessarily something that's super fun. I'm sure for you to handle quote, the situation with Sid is that he wasn't immediately fired. There was some sort of clause in, uh, in his contract about $400,000 per year guaranteed, which may have been an injury clause that the WBF felt they had the right to cancel it. He was then offered a new deal, which was a nightly deal, which basically had he worked a complete schedule would have earned him the same 400 grand per year or so. And it was roughly 2000 to $2,500 per shot and more for pay-per-views, but he turned that down. 
feeling like his contract shouldn't have been canceled. At that point, he was fired and is threatening legal action back. So same, same old story. Okay. Same old story. You know, what's going to happen. I'm going to get a lawyer and I'm going to get my money and I've been wronged. You know, the thing about Sid was such the reason Sid got so many extra chances are seemingly, and he may not say, agree with that, which is fine is the fact that, uh, he didn't draw and he had every bit of a potential in the world, Conrad to draw big money. If you drew a, if you, if you, uh, digitally created a villain or a wrestling star, it might resemble Sid vicious, big six, eight, six, nine, whatever he was athletic, great face. You know, uh, he wasn't a, he wasn't a typical baby face. That's why he was, I thought better as a heel, but when you're seven feet, almost seven feet and you're better as a heel, you got to learn to do a couple of things. One is to sell and feed a comeback. And some guys are just not suited for that as well as others. So, uh, I think Sid got all his, he got a lot of chances because he looked great. Uh, you know, he had a presence about him that we couldn't replicate. You couldn't create it, you couldn't manufacture it. So he, he got some other chances that some guys may not have gotten that were less physically gifted. Well, the next, uh, raw on the road is ground zero or on the way to ground zero is Biloxi, Mississippi. It's another sellout, uh, smaller building, but 6,814 people here. And this was the first week that raw was moved back to its original 9 PM Eastern time slot, which now means the show is going to finish at 11 PM. Nitro is still going to be running eight to 10. Um, Meltzer would say this WCW did great in the unopposed first hour and won by a strong 3.85 to 2.55 in the head to head hour and handed the WWF a great lead in for the third hour where the company did a 3.35 rating its best hour in a long time. If anything, the message this sends to WCW based on this week and the big numbers for the previous week's three hour show is that three hour weekly shows look to be the answer. It may not be the answer. A lot of people want to hear, but you can't ignore the numbers in a ratings driven business, how right. quickly, and if this will be implemented will be this week's story. Even with the handing WWF the lead in WCW still won by a wide margin, but the WWF is also in a position where if it backloads its biggest angles for the second hour, which they will no doubt do, they'll have a larger audience watching than before, unless WCW makes the move to go three hours weekly. <laughs> so there you go, boys and girls. Eric got a lot of criticism over the years for making nitro three hours, but scheduling for raw means, Hey, uh, raw is going to have an opportunity to maybe gain some ground on you unless you counter program. And he does smart move. Yeah. Eric made a smart, he made a lot of smart moves. Uh, this is one of them and uh, great counter programming. Uh, why share the audience that you help bring to the table when you can keep them. And, and also while you're doing it. Uh, do a little damage to the competition. Meanwhile, on the show, oh, by the way, for what it's worth, Nitro does wind up going to three hours, but it takes until January of 98. So it's going to be a few months to put it together uh, with scheduling for the station and whatnot, but it happens. And, and still to this day, Monday night, raw three hours, um, flash funk is going to pin Pillman on this raw from Biloxi. Um, it, it, it ends in three minutes and 16 seconds, which is kind of ironic. Uh, once again, Pillman gets distracted. So darn it. He's got to keep wearing the dress. Dude. Love's going to come out and do a 70 style superstar. Billy Graham interview. 
Sean Michaels is going to be on the screen and make fun of him. And, uh, Meltzer just really hated the dude love character. Uh, and I know, I understand why Meltzer loved cactus Jack. what do you think of the dude love presentation? Well, it gave Mick another opportunity to sell more merchandise and to be, uh, booked in a variety of ways. He, he, he became more versatile when, uh, dude love was created. He, he wanted to do it. It was based in fact, his life. And so, uh, you know, I, I didn't have a problem with it, quite frankly. I, and, had, and I'm also, uh, uh, would agree with Meltzer. It's a, uh, uh, you know, cactus was my favorite, but then mankind came along and kind of, well, I need to think about this a little bit more. Maybe cactus isn't my favorite. Maybe mankind's my favorite. And then the had the idea to, to do something fresh with, for him. And, uh, it, it's, I thought it worked out pretty good, Conrad. I mean, he sold a lot of merchandise. He made a lot more money for the company and the fan, his family, uh, in that role. It was short term. I get, I agreed with that, but while it, while it was all active and being promoted on television, it was, it was a success. Uh, we also see Shamrock team up with the Patriot to beat Owen and Bulldog in 11 minutes and 17 seconds. Meltzer would say Patriot needs wins like this in order to give him credibility since he's in a pay-per-view main event from a booking sense, it made, or from a booking standpoint, it made sense, but as a match, it was just okay. And boy, the Patriot is getting over huge here, which probably has more to do with, uh, Bret Hart being over as a heel than him as a baby face. But, um, Meltzer thought perhaps Patriot having a Southern accent and this show happening in Mississippi had something to do with that. What do you think of that? Do you think fans cheer based on accents? I never heard of no. that. I thought of that. I don't, I, Hey, Dave's a smarter guy than me, but I, I, I don't get that one. Uh, you know, I think it's uh, unfair stereotyping. If that was the case, I would have never went past a year or two in the business instead of coming on 50. They don't care how you sound as long as you sound real right. and genuine, uh, you know, God almighty. Vince Scully had a, had, was part of the greatest baseball broadcaster in history. And he didn't sound like anybody else, you know, uh, Lindsey Nelson on the great college football broadcasters who did Notre Dame football for years too, and Tennessee in early days. Uh, you know, they sound different. It's like, it's like listening to, uh, my friend, uh, on, uh, that's your ball games. Uh, <coughs> pardon me. Uh, God, what's the guy's name that does this Alabama games? Oh, Eli, uh, Eli gold, Eli gold. My, and I say he's my friend. I can't remember his name. That's just a sign of old age. Not yeah. bullshit, but we've been friends a long time oh, and, uh, Eli's dropped a hundred LBs. He's not calling, uh, games right now. He'll be back, but he's missing some time right now. Just focusing on his health. He hadn't made it a priority in a while, but he's down a hundred pounds, man. How about that? That's beautiful. Yeah. Congratulations. I need to send him a text. Congratulate him on that deal. But he's a, he, here's the thing I was going to try the point I was going to try to make for I digress to someplace in, in never, never land. Uh, Eli's from New York city and he's got a New York accent Yeah, and he's calling and he's the, he's the greatest voice of Alabama football in history. Yes. At least in my, in my vision, my here. Uh, but he don't sound, he don't sound like a Southern guy, but it doesn't, it doesn't affect his work. And he's good at what he does. So I think there's 
that's kind of the situation there. I don't know that the Southern thing had anything to do, yay or nay, with Adele Wilkes, a Patriot. Nothing. Let's uh, let's talk about a big moment on Raw here. Rocky Mavia comes back from injury. Of course, he got started in uh, late '96. He makes his big debut at the Survivor Series. Uh, gets pushed to the moon. Wins the Intercontinental Title in early '97. The fans just do not want anything to do with it. Die, Rocky, die. Eventually he drops the intercontinental championship. He's hurt. And now he comes back and costs chains a match with Farouk and then promptly joins the nation of domination. The rock is about to be born and man, everything happens for a reason. Right time, right place. Yeah. Dwayne is going to maximize his minutes here in this return. Is he not brother? Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. He's uh smart guy. Yeah. He saw that somebody was knocking on his door. Are you going to go open the door and answer it and step out in the hall and become something special? Or you're going to cower and because of the unknown, cause you'd never been there before. And he, he rock always acted like he'd been there before. Right. And, and, uh, between his grandpa, Peter, Mavia and his, his dad, Rocky Johnson, hall of fame guys. Uh, he had been there before emotionally mentally. So, uh, the, the Nate rock going into the nation. Now people may not like the concept of the nation, the, the, the black thing and all that. I don't know. It didn't bother me any, uh, cause I saw some of my guys that I hired at getting work and getting used and getting a break. So that was good for me as a, as a talent guy. So, uh, but we knew he was going to be special, but we knew that we had to put him in, a, in an environment could make him special. And when you get what you're doing with all these partners in the, in a nation is the fact that, uh, you know, what you really have is a, a bunch of potential villains and opponents for the rock when it's when it comes time, there's a story there. So that's kind of how we looked at that deal. And, but Dwayne's going to be successful no matter what he does. Animated movies or whatever, yeah, producing whatever it may be. So now we're back in the main event and, uh, dude love is now mankind. So Mick Foley has, uh, put down the, the more fun, loving dude, love character for the rest of the night. Since Shawn Michaels was calling him out, he's going to be mankind to take on Sean. It's a great match. And somewhere in here, we see Hunter and China come get involved and I'll be darned if ravishing Rick Rude doesn't show up as Sean's insurance policy. DX is created here out of nowhere on the way to ground zero. God, there's so much going on here, but the Rick Rude appearance is something I want to talk about because he's a part of the ECW operation and Meltzer had this to say, Rick Rude was brought in as part of a working agreement with Paul Heyman Rude appeared. And in exchange, Ross plugged the ECW pay-per-view show and the Lawler dreamer match several times on raw. It's going to be a pay-per-view that happens that same weekend. And Meltzer would say the original deal was for it to be a one-time only thing, but judging from TV, Rude is going to be Michael's bodyguard on TV for the time being. He'll still continue to work ECW, blah, blah, blah. But the idea here is I think he's going to be in on a nightly deal and that might come back and bite you in the butt, right? It's my humble opinion that Vince is enamored with Rick Rude, especially his body, right? His physique is, uh, time he spent in the gym to continue to improve and how he looked and all those things. So many of us on the inside never had the confidence that, uh, Vince did in rude. 
And one of the reasons that rude had was not wrestling for WWE was he had a, apparently had a back injury, right? And he was protecting his back. Uh, so because did rude, do you remember rude wrestling much after, after that, when he made his return to WCW? No, he never did. Remember him? He never wrestled. Did he? No, he never did. Yeah. So after the back injury was staying and he got the uh, settlement from Lloyd's of London, that was a done deal. Yeah. He kind of scratched his itches Yeah, and he didn't have the same passion. I think he wanted to train for a comeback and, uh, uh maybe allegedly Bischoff wasn't as receptive and, maybe. and, and there were some hurt feelings. I think at the end, I'm not sure. Could be, but nonetheless, uh, some guys just don't know when it's time. If you can't go out and perform at your peak level, then you best not apply. And so he was going to get paid a lot of money, uh, at his own insistence to be uh, a manager or to be a, you know, second or whatever the hell you want to call it, whatever cool, cool word you want to use bodyguard. So, uh, anyway, uh, that was kind of how I looked at that deal. I never thought I never had great confidence in it. And quite frankly, when Rick left and, uh, walked kind of in the middle of the night type deal and then showed up on nitro, uh, I was, I thought it was creative booking. I thought it was bold, but I thought also that it's a, uh, one take Jake, how much mileage can you get out of a guy that can't take bumps? How do you have a top heel manager, bodyguard, whatever that can't take a bump? Yeah. I haven't figured that out yet. Still all these years later, 25 years later, I, I still don't get it. I guess I'm a slow learner. Tommy dreamer is going to wind up pinning Jerry Lawler at the ECW hardcore heaven pay-per-view on August 16th. Uh, Lawler is going to plug the ground zero pay-per-view before the match. Uh, we're also going to have cameos from Rick Rude, Jake Roberts, and even Sonny on this show. So there's a big. Uh, cross pollinization, if you will, with the WWF and ECW at the time, uh, on the way to ground zero, we're all going to have another sellout in Atlantic city, New Jersey, 8,672 fans paying 155 grand Meltzer has this to say though, about Rick rude. Apparently last week when Michaels found out about rude doing the bodyguard gimmick, he cried and complained because he didn't want rude. And if he had to have a bodyguard, he wanted Helmsley. So rude will be with him a little longer and then move on to other things. If everything works out, do you remember Sean being disappointed in the rude booking or was Sean just hard to please in every area here? Well, he was kind of challenging to please cause he's such a smart little fucker yeah. that he, uh, he got it. He more often than not when uh, Watts taught me this all these years ago, Watts had a territory of 14, 16, 18 guys. And, uh, Everybody had to have a role. Everybody had to mean something uh, to some degree, even the jock, the guys that were underneath that were doing the honors, the favors, they had to have some credibility. They had to have a background. They had to have a reason for being there. If they weren't good, then why are they resting on this television show type thing? Uh, but Sean made those points a lot, what he didn't like. And that's what got heat on him sometimes because he had Vince's ear and he could go straight to Vince and tell, say whatever he wanted and plead his case. Right. Uh, so I, I think that, uh, uh, I, I think that Sean, 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 Sean knew that rude. Look, it's just like I said earlier, it's as simple as this. 
you got a villain, hot villain champion who needs a backup, but the backup can't be physical. Now tell me where that made any sense. And, and Sean's right on that deal. So, uh, and you know, as, as we said, you know, when Rick got to WCW, he never wrestled a match. Right. So somebody knew what the hell they were doing. Let's mention that, uh, we got Owen bulldog beating LOD in four minutes and 57 seconds. The Godwins are going to come out, hit Henry with, uh, uh, or Henry's going to hit animal with a bucket. Owen's going to pin him. And then the Godwins beat on LOD after the match for some reason, of course, eventually it's going to get to a four way, but it always felt like the Godwins were baby faces. Maybe that's changing here. We see Ken Shamrock beat the Sultan, which is maybe not the best gimmick Rikishi ever had with an ankle lock. Uh, and then we get this moment. NOD comes out Farouk does a strong style interview and Rocky Mavia blames the fans for chanting Rocky sucks and die Rocky die. And he pushed hard that this isn't a racial deal. And then the DOA are on the video wall, challenged them to come into the parking lot for a fight. And we're off to the races. Of course, through this big fight that happens here with the Los Periquas stealing the bikes and driving off and DOA chasing after them. There's going to be a brawl where as a rib, I think Bruce and company made sure that they fucked up Jim Cornette's real life car. Oh yeah. It's Taurus. It's prize Taurus <laughs> got, <laughs> got mangled and well, got mangled in the sense that Cornette drove as many of us did from Connecticut to Atlantic city. So he, he drove the old school. Yep. And, uh, and he, he loved that Taurus. I remember being kind of a silver Taurus. And so, uh, it just smelled like Wendy's a lot, but and, and he, he, that's not, a, that's not a bad thing. Uh, and so the, the fight, the brawl pure sixer, if you will, uh, went outside and I can't remember who said that maybe Bruce is sitting beside Cornette or something. Cornette saw it happen on the monitor Yes, from the gorilla position and he freaked out freaked out. And so here's what it meant. It was cool weather. He's got to drive home back to Connecticut with his back windshield window or back, back seat glass. Uh, there's gotta be a better word for it than that, but somebody took a bump and they hit the back of the window and boom, pop, couldn't see anything out of it. It looked horrible. So Cornet goes, he goes out there to intervene in his own, try to save his own vehicle's life. But the poor bastard had to drive back to Connecticut with his windows broke. And everybody thought that was funnier than hell, except when the bill came. Okay, whose budget is this coming out of, you geniuses? Right. Oh, talent relations will take care of that. Okay. So we did. And I felt bad for Corny. I thought it was, I thought it was not a good rib. No. At the moment it happened, it was funny. It was a, a, one of those, ah, what the heck? One of those deals. Cornette uh, didn't deserve that opportunity. Hey, look, he, he had, he threw a lot of fuel in his own fire from time to time with his opinions and his outrageousness and the eyes of some, I got used to working with Corny in that, the whole mindset because uh, when I worked for cowboy and Watts saw the value in Cornette too, as a booker, administrator, finished guy, whatever you want to say. So uh, that was all I needed to hear. And I then I worked a lot with Cornette and I got to know him better and so, but he didn't deserve that. Now that was, it was funny. It was funny for a few seconds, 
until everybody realized the after, the the aftermath, the repercussions of it were not good. Nothing positive really came out of it. So let's talk about the rock here, because as this, you know, we know the payoff is going to be Cornette's fucked up car. And that's, what's maybe fun to talk about. But if the rock would have started as a heel, I don't know that it would have worked as well, but him having motivation by the fans turning on him first, and then he gets to really stew on it, think about it and, and share those real life emotions and feel justified in turning heel. Right. And he's off to the races here. It's really good stuff. Classic heel promo con, excuse me, but anytime a heel, uh, who, who's positioned as a heel, a talent positioned as a heel, when they do a promo and the promo is not overly outlandish and what they're saying is plausibly real, it pisses the fans off more. Yeah. But it's what Rocky did in that promo was brilliant. And, uh, I thought he stated his issues. He addressed the racial issue that some people had and, uh, you know, I just say, get over it, get over it. Just cause those guys are black. What, what's that? What's that even mean? Yeah. Oh, they're African-Americans. Okay, cool. I don't care. I didn't hire them because of their color. Right. I hired them because I thought they could work. And that was a good group. You know, I get D-Lo. d should have had a little bit better run in it than he did. Ron Simmons, who was a, kind of anointed to be the guy. Yep. And then, uh, everybody got, everybody helped rock with a little rub, and a little in-ring tutoring, if you will. It worked so out. It, it worked out great. It worked out just fine. I do want to talk about, uh, the next angle here because we get Jesse James, the road dog before he's the road dog. He's still rockabilly here or not rockabilly, but, uh, the real double J yeah, he's going to beat Brian Pillman in under two minutes. Gold dust interferes of course, again, but it's by DQ here. The idea is Pillman has to stay in the dress until he wins a match. So Goldust wants to make sure he provides distractions as often as he can. Once he realizes, okay, that's not going to work anymore. He just comes in and drops an elbow on Jesse James. And that means Pillman automatically loses by DQ. So Goldust has outsmarted Pillman. Pillman's stuck in the dress after the match. Pillman's had enough of this. He challenges Goldust to a match at the pay-per-view. And if he loses, he'll leave the company forever. But if he wins, he gets Marlena for 30 days. Goldust doesn't even hesitate. Flat refuses that. No, thanks. And then Pillman says something like, oh, really? Well, your daughter Dakota is actually mine. And Goldust <laughs> starts to freak out. Marlena out of nowhere accepts the match. And Goldust acts like he can't understand why he would say that and why Marlena would accept this. And I think in real life, once upon a time, as the story goes, uh, when they were both in WCW, when the real life Marlena was working as a makeup artist in WCW, she did have a relationship with Brian Pillman. And I think this may have been a sore spot for the real life Dustin Runnels. What do you remember about this? Well, this is basically what you're covering. You know, it was uncomfortable. Yeah. And I, I think uh, all those great angles, man, are based in some semblance of truth. And, uh, I think that's kind of where we were with this deal. Uh, we didn't make, we didn't broadcast it. We didn't make a big deal out of it. Uh, we didn't go deep in the story. Dude. We didn't do a deep dive. Yeah. No deep dives. Uh, but I thought it, it kind of fit and it was a good way to get to that match. And it's a good way to have the villain finally prevail to make life even more miserable for Mr. And Mrs. Runnels. 
Next up, we've got Patriot pinning Vader clean with a full Nelson drop that they're calling the uncle slam, not the uncle Sam, but the uncle oh, slam. Yeah. Um, eventually we would see Vader jump the Patriot. He's about to squash him. Brett's going to come in very Patriot under the Canadian flag. Vader's pissed about Brett doing this breaks the flagpole. And now not only are we trying to get a big win for Patriot over Vader, which we did, but maybe we're turning Vader babyface in the process. What the plan wasn't the plan Vader being a good guy just doesn't make sense. No, no, it's irrelevant. It's just, it's not, it's a, uh, we're disconnected here somehow. Yeah. It's not going to work. He's supposed to be a bully and he didn't want to be a baby face. Okay. So when you get a talent, that's really uncomfortable being in a certain role, uh, smart bookers will see that, recognize that process that and go another direction. So that your talent, who you're paying a lot of money for is happy in their role. So in other words, it's like saying, well, you know, I don't, I, I'm a defensive tackle. I don't play guard. I don't play on the offensive side of the ball. I'm a defensive guy. Well, what do we do? Well, we either get you on the defensive side of the ball so you can contribute more, which is what we did. Yeah. Or, uh, or we do go to plan B and plan B missed maybe that ill fated fit that was never going to work, which means. Leon was never going to work as a long-term baby face. How these, how's a guy that's 400 pounds sell, uh, as a baby face, Not you yet. have to look a little bit weaker. It's a delicate balance, Conrad. Yeah. Stop, stop. Think about it. So, uh, yeah, but anyway, but you're going over all these names. It's just amazing to me. The roster that we had unbelievable, pretty amazing. I'm really proud of those guys. The TV main event there was Undertaker and Mankind, who were once mortal enemies. Now they're in a tag team here to take on the newly formed DX, even though we're not calling it that, with Shawn Michaels and Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Rude comes out. He's about to hit the Undertaker with a chair. Undertaker turns around. Rude drops the chair. Michaels winds up with the chair and destroys the Undertaker with a chair for a DQ. And the Undertaker does a major blade job, tons of blood, and of course, this is something that's going to be heavily criticized because Vince McMahon has been, you know, boohooing as loud as he can about the barbaric act of blading and self mutilation that has been happening on the Turner program. But boy, this, this blood angle with the undertaker, this is a big one. You, you didn't see a lot of blood on TV in the WWF in this era, but undertaker, woo, he hit a gusher here. What do you, you think that, that was Vince's idea to get to all that color? No. Okay. Taker. Okay. We're going to have to hot shot this thing a little bit. We're going to get some heat on Sean again. Stop and think of the logistics as a booker. Yeah. You got a seven foot near nearly seven foot baby face. Yes. At 300 pounds. Yes. And the villain is six feet, but shorter. Yeah. And about a hundred pounds lighter. Got to do it's something. Psycho- yeah. You got to, you got to, you got to heat it up yeah. and create a, a keener awareness and angst. Uh, negative vibes you're looking for in that, in that regard, you're not going to Taker's not going to make everybody happy before we go to our last, see you next week. Uh, so yeah, I, 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 I liked it. I didn't have, I like the color anyway. I'm just old school. You grew yeah. up in Cowboys territory. You get kind of used to color cause you had a lot of it. Uh, but it's funny. It was discretionary enough that it's when it happened, it seemed like it meant something. I did. This didn't happen all the time, right? But it happened on a semi-regular basis, whatever that could mean in your own definition. So, uh, 
I, I'm a, I thought, I thought it was, it was heavy and, but Taker wanted to make sure that uh, his idea, and I don't blame him, at least had a fair chance of living and all that color and all that drama and violence and all that stuff. We believe that people are going to pay big money now to see undertaker dismantle Shawn Michaels and shut his mouth. Finally, just shut up. And undertaker had the, re the remedy for that big, big fists, <laughs> bigger than these. <coughs> Meltzer had this to say, Mark Henry is being brought back to training after recovering from his broken leg. At one point it was thought he'd never be back, but now they're bringing him back to training, but are somewhat skeptical of whether or not he'll make it because he got a rep the last time for thinking he was a star and not wanting to learn anything. Meanwhile, Yokozuna is still under contract and they want him to get down to 400 pounds, but it's just not happening. He had a recent heart scare, but his heart recovered after changing his medication. So. Two big men here. We're trying to find a spot for, of course, Yoko has been to the top of the mountain and, uh, we're not sure if Mark Henry is going to make it. We know Mark Henry is going to go on to have a, a multiple decade long career, still doing yeah. his thing. Great career. He's, and he's, he's a valuable asset in AEW right now too. Kind of a, I call him Morgan Freeman at TV because he's always got a group around him. Yeah. Talking. So it's the Ernie lad under the learning tree type scenario. So Mark has been contributing well in that area. Uh, I just got to get him quit talking about his son going to Texas. <laughs> Mark's defensive tackle son is a special athlete, Jacob Henry. And he had a real nice visit I hear at Norman the other day. Just, just saying he's lifting like a son of a gun too. I saw some oh, stuff strong. on social. That's like, this, okay, this kid's wrists are that, that seemingly this wide. Yeah. And just. He's a freak and he's smart. You know, he takes that at his Ivy league educated mom. So I'm kidding, Mark, don't get mad. Uh, so, uh, yeah, my, my, we, we never gave up on Mark Henry, right? If at the end of the day, if somebody asked Mark Henry about his WWE, WWF, whatever tenure, he's got to mention they didn't give up on me. Right. And I was getting paid a lot of money and I wasn't producing a lot. And then the injury started happening and you know, that's another, that's another story for another day, but, uh, we never, we never gave up on Mark Henry. I, I kept saying it's so simple. You got a 400 pound guy that could dunk a basketball. He's pretty good. Damned athletic. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to ride that horse until it breaks down. And that's what we try to do. And, and Mark, and, and eventually he endured, he went through it all. He got healthy. He lost weight. And he became a world champion and hall of fame guy. Uh, Meltzer would say you guys, uh, signed six minis. Uh, five of them are, uh, Mascarita Sagrada, Mascarita Sagrada, Jr. Uh, Octagoncito. Oh yeah. Uh, mini Vader, mini mankind. They're going to be repackaged, given new names. Uh, Mascarita Jr. is probably going to get the biggest push out of the group. Uh, where were you at on the minis? It's been a big part of wrestling for a long, long time. Uh, and now they're going to get a, a little spotlight here in the company for a few months. Uh, what do you think of this? Skeptical. I was a little skeptical, to be honest with you. I thought not unlike any other time in my career and, and thank God the women had changed the perception of their matches to where they're just not, a, well, and, and the women on the card, you know, that the old window cards, lady wrestlers, 
They didn't put their name on there. No picture, no nothing. So, uh, but the women in, in pro wrestling today have, uh, outlived that scenario, but the, I don't know that the, uh, little people have quite honestly, and I'm not saying that cause I don't like midget wrestling. It's, it's a, it's a gimmick match folks. You know, it's uh, unless you're in a unique environment, Mexico's one mm-hmm. that you just, you know, you see them once and you know, unless you got a program going on or, or it's just hard to get them all over. They do so much of the same, a lot of rapidity. There's no holes involved. There's the, the only drama you have is when somebody misses a crazy bump. So I, I was never a big fan of it. I certainly wouldn't give it a try. I hired them, yeah. paid them. I think, uh, Victor Quinones had a lot to do with that, uh, uh, back in those days. Uh, and he, I think he was a big, he's a bit, Bruce would probably tell you that somewhere down the road, you know, Victor was, it helped Victor have more value and more sizzle and meant more to the company because he could help hire some guys. So, uh, but I was skeptical on her simply that put I was just a little bit skeptical that it was a long-term deal. And I was also curious as to how you're going to, to uh, craft a storyline involving multiple matches with these little guys. Can we make that work? Right. So that was, that was my concern. Well, let's talk about, uh, some other news and notes here. This one about Steve Austin, he's 32 and Meltzer was right. He suffered a bruise of the spine along with fairly significant neck problems, a a combination of, uh, both what happened in his wrestling career and the recent jarring. Now he's got continual tingling in his shoulders and he wakes up and his limbs are asleep. He's seen multiple doctors, one in Texas, one who advised him he could risk paralysis. Another in Philadelphia who says you need to be out at least two months. How often are you talking with Steve as he's going to these different doctors and, and hearing the feedback daily, daily, you got, uh, he's the kind of guy that needed contact. He's the kind of guy that didn't want to go be ignored. One of the worst things a, a promotion can do is for one of their talents to get hurt and the talent not here on a, at least a semi-regular basis from the office. Right. I assume that if one of your star guys in your company, your mortgage company, uh, had a, had some bad luck, you wouldn't just leave him sitting there and not say, Hey, how you feeling today? Uh, is there anything I can do for you? That something, some support, something positive. And, uh, but Steve was the kind of guy that, you know, and he'd want to know what's going on and how's, how's this working and this, that, and the other, he, he never detached from the brand right or the or the genre it's just the fact that uh he, he needed he needed communication and i provided it so th- normally what would be the go home episodes of monday night raw are preempted for the u.s open that's not going to hurt trying to get to a pay-per-view so instead they're on friday night slots which would be 8 29 and 9 5 a week earlier, they were supposed to be Saturday night airings, but at least they got it bumped to Friday and they're going to call these Friday nights, main events. Uh, both shows are taped on August 23rd. Uh, you do get to call both shows. Um, Cornette is on the first one. Doc Hendricks is on the second one. Uh, the real life, Michael Hayes, I guess that's not his real name, but you know what I mean? His yep. prior persona, 
Did you yep. have a preference? Did you like working with Michael or Cornette better on commentary? Oh, it's Conrad. I, I, I use a baseball pitcher analogy, uh, one through junk off speed, breaking balls, that type thing. And the other through heat. Okay. And, and, uh, uh, both guys are very, very, are very, very talented. Cornette had a more natural knack for it. Maybe than Michael, uh, cause Cornette was shrewd enough to be able to get his guys over and his, his causes over, uh, you know, then Michael, Michael, Michael had a hard time getting out of that pure heel mode. Yeah. So Michael became a one dimensional, very talented. And I love working with him. We had some great times and it had some really good shows. All that, all that old UWS stuff is still out there floating around. And, uh, Michael's commentary is a vital part of that. But Cornette just seemed to be a natural fit. And I, and I, I credit the, him watching wrestling since he was a, in diapers, because he lived in Louisville and they had like a chance to get like three, three major markets, TV or something, you know, uh, in that region. So he, what he consumed a tremendous amount of wrestling and he had Sherry Lawler as a heel part of that time. And people could say what they want about Lawler and what he is today, as far as being more of a novelty guy, and, you know, gimmick and all that other shit. Uh, he's still one of the best workers in the business. Oh yeah. He's, set, he's 70 something years old. Uh, and you're not supposed to be doing this. So I think Cornette had a little bit of an edge there, but if I had a, if, if Vince came to me and said, you're going to work with Michael, I'd, I was ecstatic because I'd work with Michael. Right. I, I, I understood the rhythm and I, we knew how to dance together. And of course then Cornette was just, uh, Cornette was really good. Cornette and H Heyman are probably two of the two of the guys that I was involved with early in their career that have had great success. Of course, we see Heyman every week now on WWE television. He's a key role, has a key role in that. He just celebrated a birthday. Uh, by the way, you can send all your gifts to Paul Heyman to me. If you want to, <laughs> you'll, you'll hold them for him. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, but both of them are good, Connie, I mean, they're, they're, both of them are better than just about anybody working today. So there's not a lot going on on these, uh, shows, uh, that are taped. Meltzer would say the reports live were really negative complaining that none of the advertised matches took place. There's some redundancy of the finishes. You do get a debuting Jerry Lynn here. Who's going to lose the Takamichinoku. Uh, and there's two videos that are featured on the second show. I want to bring up, you get Dell Wilkes, uh, the Patriot without his mask here. Uh, he's got a segment here filmed at home to hype up his match with Brett. I guess this is to try to humanize the guy. Maybe we've never seen his face before make him yeah. that sympathetic baby face. We also see Steve Austin doing target practice at his ranch and, uh, his targets were signed photos that the office had sent him in a care package. He targets Vince yourself and gorilla monsoon. Cause you guys that are the bastard. Are, Ooh. Uh, even the Owen Hart thing. I mean, a little bit of target practice. That was pretty fun, dude. Yeah. And it was a way to get Steve on television. Yes. In a unique role. He still, he was still stone cold, right? Good stone cold things. He just wasn't doing the stone cold things in an arena or, or in a ring. Yeah. And as we said earlier, I think we've wore this horse, beat this horse to death. Fans were content and how long they would be content. I don't know. Right. But fans were, were going to be content, at least for the foreseeable future, as long as they got to see Austin do Austin things on television. 
Next up, it's time for the pay-per-view. Of course, no, no longer is it a two-hour show. It's a three-hour show, which means we can charge more money. We get 126,000 buys. That's way down from SummerSlam 97. Uh, they did 225,000 buys, but it is slightly up from September of the prior year, which was a phenomenal match with uh, Mankind and Shawn Michaels on top in Philadelphia. That did 120,000. So we're up 6,000 buys here. Overall, though, the show is uh, mixed reviews. The readers yep. of The Observer gave it 48.2% thumbs up. 21.1% thumbs down and 30.7% thumbs in the middle. Let's jump into it. Um, Brian Pillman and Goldust go 11 minutes and five seconds. The match is not great, uh, but decent enough. Two and a half stars. Uh, the, the story is Brian Pillman wins and they're introducing a new aspect to this storyline that at this point has going, been going for months. The idea here is we're admitting that Pillman and Terry, AKA Marlena really did have a relationship before she married Dustin and that Pillman was the one who dumped Terry and she went to Dustin on the rebound. Uh. I would say, as far as the factual truth goes, I believe there is something to this. Uh, Pillman didn't wear the dress to the ring, which was the original plan. Pillman's still limited. He's still hurt from, uh, his, his ankle injuries. Uh, but he's taken a lot of hard bumps, including a stun gun on his face on the ring steps. And, uh, there's some dueling chance, but not the kind you would want gold dust sucks and Pillman sucks. Uh, either way we get a ref bump. Darn it. I hate when that happens. Marlena tries to hit Pillman with her purse. It has a brick in it, but Pillman gets the purse and hits gold dust with it instead. And now he scores the pin. Lawler, of course, grabs the purse, pulls the brick out. And at the same time, Pillman drags Marlena off with him, throws her into his car and drives off as gold dust gives chase. And for the rest of the show, Lawler is making remarks as if these two were hooked up in a motel together. And Meltzer says the angle aspect was great. And the match was good. You know, lots of Gaga here, but pretty well done. Let's say. You. Yeah. Oh, I think so. I agree with you. It's uh, it was a, it was a story that had a long arc. It had a big arc. Uh, this gold dust, uh, Marlena Hillman thing. So it, it was a story. Well, the foundation was there. Uh, it wasn't a one-off. It wasn't a, you know, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am type uh, scenario. So I liked the way the story was told. The guys were given time to tell their story in the ring. They had plenty of television footage and exposure, all, uh, uh, creating more angst for the heel, Brian Pillman. So, uh, I, I thought it was well done. I did too. You know, it, it told a good story and it was at least interesting, something different. Uh, and there's uh, 4,963 fans here at the Louisville gardens, enjoying it. It wasn't sold out. Could have got up to 6,000 there, uh, $82,000 gate, $44,000 in merch. And it's time for our next match and match number two, uh, we're going to have Brian Christopher beat Scott Putsky by four minutes and 40 seconds. Fans are chanting Jerry's kid or Christopher. Of course, this is the old USWA territory and, uh, Brian Christopher has been a baby face here for years, but the reaction is sort of mixed because this is largely a WWF crowd. Scott Putsky though, um, didn't really make it too much here. Uh, Meltzer would oh. say the word we got is Putsky saw, uh, suffered a torn quadricep, his front thigh. And, uh, had surgery the next day. He's going to be out of action for three months, even leaves on a stretcher. What do you remember of the injury and why Scott Putsky didn't have a longer, more lucrative career here in the company? 
Well, it may have been part of uh, uh, injury issues, yeah. which are just described. Yeah. He didn't have what his dad had. Ivan Pesky, amazing charisma that used the broken English, even though he's a Texas guy, Joe Bednarski, uh, and he had charisma and he started there for cowboy too. And Bill babysat him until he finally got to his big break and then admitted a ton of money and, and uh, for Vince, um, I, he just didn't, he had a bad last name. And sometimes these, uh, second generation, second generation guys or third generation guys on a rare exception, uh, they're, they're unfairly judged. They're, you can't be your dad. You're not going to, you know, but, uh, he just didn't have, he didn't, he never connected with the audience, a good looking kid, oh, handsome, yeah. uh, looked great on eight by 10. No doubt about that, but getting him healthy and, and keeping him focused on that regard is, was a little bit more daunting. Next up, we've got Savio. By the way, Ivan Putsky never brought back after the injury. Uh, Savio Vega is going to win a triangle match over Farouk and Crush. It goes 11 minutes and 39 seconds. They, mel- they, they uh, mentioned on commentary that Ron Simmons is going to be in the uh, Florida State football game the next week for their Hall of Fame ceremony because he's being honored. Uh, right. Savio Vega gets the win, though. Uh, Meltzer will say it went too long and it got really bad. In particular, Vega and Farouk blew a neckbreaker spot worse than you'd expect from two guys in their first pro match. Uh, the match just disintegrated from that point into one of the worst matches you'll ever see. Meltzer described the finish as a mercy killing. And he said <laughs> negative star and a half. I know sometimes, you know, we say in, in, in MMA styles, make fights. This one was a styles clash and. Sometimes it just doesn't click and it did not hear bowling shoe ugly as a friend of mine would say. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a lesson stellar. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I'm biased. Even in my critiques in the show, you know, I hired these guys. I recruited them. They're my guys and they had a stinker. So they had a stinker. It happened the wrong place, the wrong time, but I wouldn't trade those two guys off my roster to this very day. Savio and Ron are reliable and dependable guys, and they could work with just about anybody except each other. Apparently next up, we've got, uh, a, a pretty fun match with, uh, some little fellows, Max mini and El Torito. They go nine minutes and 20 seconds. Uh, Meltzer would say this was repackaged Mexican minis and, uh, they were done. It was done this way because Antonio Pena threatened the WWF with legal action saying he owned the rights and created the names. So you very quickly have to change the way it's presented, but you still get the great performers. Uh, it's a fun match. Uh, it goes two and three quarter stars. I'm sure a lot of the WWF fans had never actually seen anything like this. What'd you, what'd you think of, of max mini? Well, those guys are, Hey, look, I never have knocked those guys, uh, ability to be stars or, or, uh, that they weren't skilled. It's just that I didn't think it was long-term going to be a long-term hit one hit wonder type deal. You bring them in, you dazzle the crowd and you let them go, uh, go back home or whatever. And then you rock and roll. So, uh, I don't know, Connie, I, I the match itself was fine. It really was for what it was supposed to be. And the role it was supposed to fill the match delivered just fine. 
Uh, next up came the ceremony where dude love and, um, Steve Austin are supposed to forfeit the tag belts and surrender the titles to Sergeant slaughter because Austin can't compete. Dude gives his up. Austin comes out to the expected huge pop. He starts running down Jim Ross, Vince McMahon and Sergeant slaughter. And then he throws his belt down. He calls Ross a fat ass. And when Ross praised him, <laughs> Austin gave Ross the stunner. The crowd is chanting slaughter sucks as they're helping Ross out. It appeared Ross was supposed to do a stretcher job, but they had just legitimately used the stretcher for Putsky and just forgot to bring it back. Austin's <laughs> mic work and performance in this angle, along with the Michaels performance in the main event, pretty well stole the show. And this left McMahon who looked to be really tired on the air and Lawler to announce the rest of the show alone. Is this your first in-ring bump ever, Jim? No, okay. but it was first stunner. Yeah. I might've taken the first non-wrestling stunner in Steve's run. Yes, you did. So, and I know it was bowling shoe, ugly cow on ice type stuff. Uh, but no, we, we didn't rehearse it. I was asking, we didn't get in the ring. If I had told Austin, let's go rehearse this. He would look at me with an insane glaring look in his eyes. And it wouldn't have been a fine. It wouldn't have been a real settling look. Yeah. So, so I just act like I knew how to take the bump. I didn't. But that's what, that's what we want. That's what the company wanted is that's what I did. So, uh, I think I was the first guy to take the stunner and that was a non-wrestler. I don't know what he, he gave Vince a stunner not too long after that. I don't he did. That's exactly right. And we're going to be talking about that next week here on the program. Okay. So anyway, no, I had not. And look, as a referee in the mid South, you generally got bumped once a night. Oh, I see. And so. Somebody leapfrog dropped down. You're standing in the wrong place at the wrong time. Kaboom. And the boys loved it because they could lay their shit in on the young referee. Yes. And get a, get a charge out of it. You see that kid's face when I was running at him, he was scared to death. Well, you know what? You're right. I was a little scared, but yeah, I take it out of the bumps. There weren't pretty, none of them were pretty, but they all fulfilled their, their role. I guess I knew my role. How big of a pain in the ass was the uh, stretcher not being ready and you're liable on TV? I mean, that's gotta be like, what the fuck? Right. Oh, you know, I was just, uh, very happy that I got through it. Yeah. Quite honestly. Cause I knew it was going to be ugly and all this stuff. It was going to look real. Cause it was real. Right. Uh, I don't know that I factored in the stretcher thing as quickly as maybe I should have or could have. But not being there, so I'm trying to say to you. Yeah, it should have been. It would have been better if I'd been stretched off than uh, young, young Mister Putsky. That's not how it was. Just well, the fate that worked out. But we, I think we sold it okay. Then, then it led to bigger, better things. What did you think of the pop when you got hit with it? Did you know? Oh, we got something. It worked. Was there any doubt that it was going to work? No, there's a lot of oohs and ahs and disbelief. The right kind of heat shock and all right. And, uh, but Conrad and after the fact, like we're talking now, I could go back and look at the, that stuff and, and, and have a little different opinion, uh, rather than that night, that night, like I said, I was just so relieved that we got through it, how I got my ass out of the ring and, and to the back, uh, was not the biggest priority on my list at that point. Next up, the headbangers of all people are going to win the WWF tag titles. It's a four corner match. I don't think anybody would have called it. I think everybody would have assumed it would have been Owen or Davey or perhaps LOD, 
And I think most folks would have assumed that the headbangers and the Godwins wouldn't have been in there. Uh, but yeah, the headbangers win the straps here. Meltzer called Fiction. it awful. It was just uh, one of those matches that didn't click. But, yeah. But they you know why Conrad? Why's that? Some of the talents in the match thought that, uh, they should have gone over. I see. And the, and I, I'm not saying they all half-assed it, but some of them half-assed it. Yeah. Go back and look at it. Yeah. Tell me I'm wrong. We know, and, who, uh, we know who that is. Yeah. You know, so it's unfortunate. So the very, very least, uh, it should have been better. That's what pros do. You, you make the most of your situation. So, uh, and those guys, some of the guys in that match did not do that. Unfortunately, God bless them. Meltzer gave it a dud rating. Uh, but the finish is hot. Austin's going to run in, give Owen the stunner that allows Mosh to score the pin. So it's a nice little story. Hey, if I got to forfeit my tag titles, there's no damn way. Uh, the guy who hurt me is getting it. I'm going to come stun his ass and the headbangers win it. So that was pretty fun. Yeah, that's pretty much the story, right? There. You hit nail head. You summarize it right there. Uh, uh, the last thing I'm going to do is let the guy who hurt me take my title. Yeah. Simple. Next up, we've got what you would think would be the main event, but it's not. It's for the WWF championship, but it's not going to close the show. It's Bret Hart and the Patriot. They go 19 minutes and 20 seconds. It's a pretty fun match. I enjoyed the Patriot in this run. I think this is the most high profile stuff he did. And I've often said that I think Bret did the best work of his career here in 1997. Now, a lot of people would argue that he had better matches in prior years, but as far as the character work and the promo work and I was just a huge Bret Hart fan here in 1997. I loved it. Meltzer apparently liked it too. He gave it three and a quarter stars. Uh, Meltzer would say, um, cause Bret's going to win with, uh, the sharpshooter. Of course, it was course. a great, uh, story match of an all Japan main event variety, but unlike an all Japan title match, it only had so, so execution after the match, Bret gave Patriot a pile driver, broke his American flag and choked him with it and ended up decking Pat Patterson as well. It was hard to figure out after having Patriot do a submission job, why he was buried so badly in the post-match as well, but clearly they're just setting him up here and Hey, we got this hot Canadian. We need an opponent. And that's what he is. And, and, and I think sometimes when we read stuff like, wow, why would they do that? Man, they did it for Hulk Hogan every freaking month or two in the eighties. Yep. It was a heel factory, right? How often do you think a cowboy did that for dog? Exactly. You, you, that's the thing about it is that most smart bookers had an affinity for migrating their philosophy with their top heel, top heels that stirs the drink. And, uh, these guys, uh, you know, to me, that's, that's the secret that that's, that's one of the easiest things to figure out in the business. You got to have a succession of hot villains that are fresh and, and, uh, give you something, another perspective perhaps, or another pr- presentation for sure. So that's kind of what I look at that, man. I just, uh, heels, heels is where it's at. Great heels, draw money and TV ratings. Next up is our main event. No, it's not for the world title, but it's two of the greatest that ever did it. It's the undertaker. It's Shawn Michaels. It's 16 minutes and three seconds. But if you figure in the post-match and pre-match, it's 23 minutes. Meltzer would say it was excellent work, but plagued by too many ref bumps and contrived booking gimmicks. And that by the end, the crowd was just dead. Here's what they weren't dead for though. Jim, the undertaker for the first time ever is going to jump over the top rope to the floor. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that vividly. Unbelievable. I I, I didn't believe it. Yes. 
How do we do that? Right. And he has, he had some kind of cords or strings tied to his body. <laughs> and then if he didn't, which I knew he didn't, that's facetious and ridiculous. Uh, why do we do that? What if he had a little mist here, a little bit, a few inches here, a few inches there. Now you're, you're uh, the guy that you're highlighting and have been for years is out because of one spot. Thank God they pulled it off mm -hmm. and it was spectacular. It was spectacular. I, um, I can't recommend this match enough. I know that some people would say, oh, I don't like the, the, the Gaga and the non-finish and ultimately, cause you do have lots of interference, right? You got Hunter out, you got China out, you got Rick Root out. There's brass knuckles involved. There's ref bumps. Sean's going to attack a referee. Sean's going to bleed hard way. Undertaker's going to choke slam a referee. Another ref comes out, calls it a no contest. Everyone boos, but you needed to create chaos here. Correct. Especially in the post-match with Gerald Briscoe and Tony Gurria. And you need to create chaos because when you right. do, now you set up the need for what you're doing next month, which is in your house, bad blood with the unbelievable first ever hell in a cell. But if you don't have chaos, how do you justify a cage? How do you get there? Yeah. Uh, but the match itself, fantastic. I could see how you could criticize the finish, but knowing what it leads to, Boy, was it worth it. I really liked it. And I know that there were some fans online who maybe felt like, well, this is a three hour show, not a two hour show. And it costs more money and blah, 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 whatever. I, I when the show was over, I was excited for what they were doing next. And that's yep. probably what they're looking for. Right. As, that was what we're looking for. Episodic booking. Yeah. Give you motivation to, to invest your time and your money if applicable on the next, on the next big show. So I thought we accomplished that. Okay. I, I was, you know, uh, I didn't have any issues with that match. None. It was just, an, it was an old school territory like main event. Got a lot of different moving parts gave people coverage and exposure that they might not have gotten if they hadn't gone that direction creatively. So I, I, I thought it was, they hit it right, nail on the head. I don't know how he, I, I thought that that was just one of the Shawn Michaels best matches ever because he stood toe to toe. And didn't wilt to the undertaker. To me, that was a huge story in this match, but, uh, the story would be even better told as we continue on here, as you already alluded to. Yeah. So listen, we got lots of questions. I don't think we'll get to them all, but I do have some interesting ones here. I know you're going to laugh at this first one. Cause there's basically no way you would remember. I don't think, but I'm going to have a follow-up question. Matt, what, what, what I had for breakfast that morning. Why was the ring reverted back to the red, white, and blue ropes? They were also used on the Friday night's main events around this time. And this was after the three red ropes had already been introduced. You know, every now and again, you would see, all right, here's what we're doing now. And then out of nowhere, nope. Now it's this, is that a location call Jim? Like we didn't have, cause it feels like you could just retape them. What's your thinking here? Uh, I, I really have not given it that much thought. Um, as I've said here before, I'm not a big belt guy. Yeah. As far as the, the ornateness of those, I know guys like you, I see them in, in your room, in your, uh, office, their studio, uh, you've got all, you know, you, I know your, your title belts are personal and they're, they mean something to you. Uh, I don't have that feeling. I mean, I've just been around it too much. I don't know. Uh, I respect the guys that hold them, but you're but saying I, the again, same applies to the ring ropes as well. Just. Yeah. 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 Pretty you. much. It's a prop. Yeah. 
and, and, and it had no meaning in the match. And then we didn't find out that one of the cables was this or something else that happened. Uh, and the tip off should have been the fact that they were different colored ropes. Uh, it just never registered with me, Conrad. Maybe it should have, but it didn't. Sean wants to know, I can count on one hand, how many WWF slash WWE pay-per-views have taken place in Kentucky. And as a matter of fact, ground zero is one of only a few, if I'm correct, I'm interested why that's been the case from a business standpoint. I think there, uh, I'm not sure how it is today it, it, or if it even exists today, this objection, but the commission was a little heavy handed at times. Okay. Dictating what you could do creatively and what you can't do creatively, things of that nature. So it became a little bit uh, cumbersome, awkward, uh, to have to adjust everything you're doing to suit the, the, uh, desires of the athletic commission. And they're the, they're the ultimate power there. Yes or no. So it was, uh, I think a commission thing as much as, uh, anything I can think of off the top of my head, to be honest with you. Well, one last question, then we'll wrap this one up. Bryant wants to know, you've said in the past, you think the world title match should go on last. Were you surprised I, that Taker and Sean main evented over the title match? Do you think it was because of the star power or was it something else? Star power. Yeah. It wasn't politics in that regard. I mean, it takes, it didn't take a genius to figure out, uh, you got you're going to put your champion in a position that to follow the undertaker and Sean might not have been the best thing for Brett. And the other thing is that, you know, we had a, a challenger, a baby face challenger that wasn't over, you know, again, he got that booking, I think largely because Brett liked him and wanted to work with him and make him better, get him, help get him over him. Meaning Dill Wilkes throw down boy. So, uh, you know, but yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't have a problem with the order of the matches, but I will say in, in general, and usually. The, the, the biggest belt you have should go and close the show. This is a unique case. We couldn't match the star power with Taker and Sean. Uh, it didn't, it wasn't fair to Brett. Brett could match it, but Del Wilkes was just not there yet. So I think that's one of the reasons. And again, if I'm looking at it, if I'm doing it, I want to say, I, I got to, I want to protect Brett and Brett don't need, don't need to follow this. He, that may offend him. Because he's still very proudful and all that, as he should be. Quite frankly, I think it was protecting bread a little bit too, which is a good, good. If that was true, good strategy to protect your champion and the title. Jim, I know we don't like to uh, close the show on rumor and innuendo, and you're not going to want to okay. talk about this, but I think it's what right. everybody wants to know. It's been all everybody. over the internet. We've been talking about it. We've been hinting about it. And now we just need to know straight from the horse's mouth. Is the rumor true? Are we getting JR's hot sauce in the next couple of weeks? Yes. Yes. No rumor. It's, it's going to happen. Uh, we're going to have more to talk about on that deal and, and I'll get some pictures and get it online and stuff, but we're going to have the hot sauce. It's going to be available. I, I'm not, as we record this, I'm not so sure it's not already in a warehouse. Oh, how about that? Yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, the packaging's done. The bottling's done. Uh, and boy, it's hot. It's good stuff. It's really good stuff. So yeah, that's going to come out and you know where that's available. JR's BBQ.com. You know, that's I, what I, that's what I hear on the street. I heard that same rumor. And I also heard that you guys recently ran some specials. You should check back often because the other day you had a deal where if you bought two sauces, you get another bottle of sauce for free. 
Yeah. Uh, I think you're even doing a special right now with gift boxes, with bottle openers and lots of cool stuff, including some 30% off discounts. It's all happening at jrsbbq.com. And, uh, listen, I know that a lot of folks hear about this and probably think it's a cool novelty to look cool on a shelf. And you know what? You're exactly right. But I'm going to recommend you order two bottles, one to enjoy one, to display, but you are going to reorder. I know we have at my house, we put the damn seasoning on everything. And I mean, everything, but you're looking for main event mustard. We got you. You need that Chipotle ketchup. We got you. We got two types of barbecue sauce too. I can't recommend it enough. I think you're going to love it, especially with holiday season around the corner. This might be a really cool little stocking stuffer for the wrestling fan in your life. And we've still got time for grilling season, man. Every Saturday around here, it's football Saturday. And that means the grill's getting fired up, dude. Hell yes, brother. That's the American way. Yes, sir. (laughs) That's what we do. We watch football and we eat on Saturdays. Uh, no, I, I appreciate that. Those kind words, Connie. It's business has been good and, uh, I'm, you know, we're working hard to stay ahead of our orders and no, no big delays or nothing like that. So, uh, check us out. I said this before I'll say it again. I probably said another time somewhere down the road, it costs nothing to look. Yes. Just log on free site. There's no gimmicks and just check and see what we got. We may, we may have a special thing. He said, man, I'm going to get that from my dad. I'm going to get this from my brother's a big fan or whatever. Uh, so it's a, it's, it's a fun little project and it's not, you know, you, it's something about us entrepreneurs that we'd like to, we challenge ourselves to build something and hopefully they come. So that's kind of my theory here. We're going to keep talking about it. We're making a great product. We're going to add some new things and it's all found in one place. JRSBBQ.com. And we'll be back next week talking about Stone Cold Steve Austin delivering that stunner to Vince McMahon and what a special Monday Night Raw it is. We get the return of Cactus Jack. And before we go to the air, Vince McMahon meets with Brad Hart to tell him, I can't honor your contract. It's going to get good. We're going to talk about the WWF next week right here on the show. Uh, I'm pumped, man. I love talking 1997, and it feels like the dirt is about to get deep. No doubt about it. And, uh, it kind of makes the business fun sometimes. And that dirt, my God, Conrad, dirt, uh, it's, uh, is, uh, uh, if it's done in a, in a, a non-personal, I mean, it's hard. I'm trying to figure out my words here. Things that should happen should happen. Uh, but you know, I just, it's hard to talk around this bullshit. But we had a, our locker room was more representative of a athletic locker room than any locker room I had been in since the Watts days. And, uh, so they all wanted that top spot. They were all wondering, Hey, why do you think so many guys asked me on the phone or, or in person, how Steve doing? Right. Well, are you asking because you've become benevolent and you give a shit or are you asking because you want to see when that spot's going to be open? So, yeah, it's, 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 it's a provocative, entertaining time of the business. And some people are going to say that 1997, the businesses had never been, the business had never been better uh, in a lot of areas, a lot of arenas, no pun intended. Well, we're going to talk about it next week, right here on grilling Jr. See you next week, folks.
Roll Tide, Boomer Sooner, and all those other good things. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate <laughs> you. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.